Well, let's open our Bibles to Psalm 5. So we've given it this study, the heading, coming in and going out in a hostile world. The world that we live in is hostile in all sorts of ways. It, it's, it's hostile in that there's all sorts of wickedness going on. It may not be aimed at us specifically because we're Christians, but there's all sorts of wickedness going on. Uh, even as we, we watch the news last night or this morning, uh, we see uh, somebody uh, driving a car willfully, it would seem, into a crowd of other people with intent uh, to injure. Uh, we, uh, we see tension between North Korea and America, and the, the, the prospect being talked about of nuclear weapons being used. And we think, Lord, what's going on in the world? Or we look at terrorist attacks on churches or on concerts. And we say, Lord, what's happening? Where are you? Or perhaps it's a little closer to you. Perhaps there's people are being hostile to you personally because you're a Christian, because you stand for what's right. Or perhaps it's just the, that living in the world where we're at at the minute where people are hostile to the values, the ethics of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need to know how to live in a hostile world. And Psalm 5 is written to help us to live in this hostile world, a world that is generally hostile, where there's lots of anger, lots of warfare, lots of brutality, and a world that is often specifically hostile to Christians. Now, the psalm, the, the psalm really comes in two parts. And in each part, the songwriter, he, he speaks about God, and then he speaks about the wicked, and then he speaks about himself. And he does it sort of in, 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 a, in like a mirror fashion, because the first and the last part of the psalm, he speaks about God. The, the next bit in, he speaks about the wicked. And then right at the very heart of the psalm, he's speaking about himself. And one of the things that when, you, when, when, we, when we look at the psalm, we see that that first bit finishes up with him standing in God's presence. And then the very next verse, verse 8, is him starting, as it were, to go out from God's presence. So the two main points this morning are that we're, we're to come in from the world to God's presence, and then we're to go out into the world from God's presence. We're to pray ourselves into God's presence and then we're to pray ourselves out into the world. And that's what we see uh, David doing. We see him coming to this, this realization that he is coming right into the very presence of God and not everyone is that privilege. And so there's, there's three things in this first point I want us to see. Cry out to God. You live in a hostile world. Cry out to God. We saw this a couple of weeks ago with Psalm 4. We're not sure of the circumstances, again, of this psalm. And, and that's helpful because then we can take it and we can apply it to all sorts of circumstances that we find ourselves in. And sometimes we either become disheartened at the state of the world or the things that are happening in our lives and, and we, we just carry on plodding on and we forget to cry out to God. And look at how David describes it here. He says, listen, 
or give ear to my words. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry. And I love the the range of language he has there because it's not just poetry. It speaks to our own experience, doesn't it? Sometimes we've got words and the words are tumbling out of us towards God and and they're just coming one after the other. And, And David says, yes, sometimes it's like that. Sometimes we've got words. Sometimes we've got pain. Why? Why did this happen, Lord? We look at events, uh, you know, whether it's the concert in Manchester, we look at um, maybe stories of abortion, or we look at, uh, at tragedies in different parts of the world. Perhaps it's pain that's close to home, and we've, we've got pain, and we cry out to God. And David says, listen to my cry, and sometimes we've got no words. Something unspeakably evil has been done and it's weighing on us and we just sigh or we get up in the morning there's just a weight over us and we've got no words for it and and can we come to God like that yes David says consider my sighing and in Romans 8 Paul says that there are times even when all we've got is groans And he says the Holy Spirit prays with us and for us when all we've got is groans that words cannot express. We're told we're to come to God like this. And there's something wonderfully personal here. As the songwriter over and over again says, My God, my words, my cry, my King, for to you I pray, hear my voice. Oh, he knows that he can come. It's personal. It's not just out of ritual or rote that he's praying. He's coming to his king, his God. And sometimes the hostility is particularly because of our relationship to God that we find the opinions of the world either just they, they are hurtful to us or we find the opinions of the world targeted against us. And we're told, look, you're a Christian, just keep your opinion to yourself. Keep religion out of this. And we can bring those circumstances to our God. And just before we move on from this point, look at verse 3. It particularly struck me. A number of things. He says, in the morning. He says it twice. We looked at it with the children. As one of our our uh, minister said, uh, it was from him I, I took the children's address because he used to say, he said, you, you don't tune your instrument after a performance. See, so you pray at the start of the day. And that's, it's not a, a hard and fast rule and it doesn't have to be the first thing that you do. But I think in this psalm we do see before there's a going out, there's a coming in. Before a going out into the world, there's a going to God in prayer. This man has got up in the morning and it's as if his mind is racing with all that he's got to face that day and all that's going on and, and the, the world that he's got to live in and the headlines he's going to read and the people who will oppose him as he goes about his day. And he says, I'm going to pray in the morning. And then he says, I lay out my request or I lay my request before you. Uh, some versions uh, 
say, I lay my sacrifice before you because the Hebrew just says, I lay before you. I lay it out before you. And the word used for laying it out is the word that's used of what the priests did when, when they were offering the sacrifices to God and they were laying out the meat on the altar. And so some people think that it's about sacrifice, but no, I think David is saying here, I come and I bring my prayers. Like Hezekiah, another king, spread out. There was a letter that was written from Sennacherib to the king of Jerusalem, mocking the God of Israel and saying, you can't trust him. Give up. I'm going to attack and obliterate you unless you surrender. And Hezekiah took it and he spread it out before God. And he said, Lord, would you look at this? And David comes here and he's, it's as if he thinks through his day and he, he lays it out before God and he says, Lord, would you look at my day? And you know that person there hates my faith. You know I've got to face this situation. You, you know somebody's going to ask me about how could a God of love allow this or that to happen? And he lays his day before God. Do you come in the morning? Do you lay your day out before God? And do you wait expectantly? And wait in expectation. Psalm 40. I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear. At length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear. Isaiah 40. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And he says, I'm going to wait. I'm going to watch. My God's going to answer me. The same word is, is used of a watchman on a wall. Watching. It's used in Habakkuk 2, verse 1, where he says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give this complaint. There's an expectation that his God will answer. Do you have that expectation when you pray and you cry out to God? How do you live in a hostile world? Pray expectantly. How do you live in a hostile world? See his holiness. See his holiness. There's a, a little word that the NIV has omitted at the start of verse 4. It's a connecting word. The word for. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. David says, I, I am going to wait expectantly for I know you don't like what's going on. I know that you're not a God who takes pleasure in evil. Why does he put it that way? Well, because some of the gods in the ancient world approved of evil. Marduk and Baal and Asherah and Molech, Molech in particular, one of the gods of the Canaanites, was a grotesque, of course he's a false god, he's make-believe, but the people believed that he approved of you burning your children alive. And David says, no, 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 I know you're not a god who takes pleasure in evil. And then he's got another couple of negatives. He says, With you the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. They're barred. You can't put up with them. He sees God's holiness. He says, I know you don't approve. And look at all the words that he, he, he piles up here. You're not a God who takes pleasure in evil. The wicked, the arrogant. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies, the bloodthirsty, the deceitful. And it's not just that God doesn't take pleasure. 
God, look at the language. Oh, it's so stark, isn't it? God abhors. God destroys. And even God hates. And that word for us is so, uh, in a sense, emotionally laden and, and tied to maybe a, an image of blind, r- irrational rage that we think that surely that's not appropriate of God. But we can be in no doubt that God hates evil. He has towards it an implacable, holy fury. And we need to be reminded of that. That keeps us from envy. It keeps us from despair. It keeps us from becoming complacent in our own lives and thinking, well, sure, everybody else is doing it and I'm not doing what they're doing. I'm only moving a little way towards it. Oh, if we could see God's attitude towards sin. And look what it says, sinners. It says, you hate all who do wrong. Sometimes, People say God hates sin and loves the sinner. That's true, but it's only half the truth. God hates sin and loves the sinner, yes. And God hates sin and hates the sinner. You and I can't really do that. We can't can't love and hate the same person at the same time, but God does because God's love, God's, God's hatred is based on on something that is in the person, what the person is like, but God's love is not based on the person at all. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, we read in Romans 5. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Astonishingly, God loves sinful men and so much that God the Father sends God the Son who willingly comes to die in the place of sinners that they hate because they love them so much. The love of God is astonishing. And it's against that backdrop that we say God hates sin, loves sinners, and hates sinners. Because if somebody is going to reject the love of God, the only option open, left open to them is the implacable, holy, pure detestation of God. If anyone's here this morning and you're not a Christian, it's your choice. God says, I have love for you that is beyond your comprehension. I have sent my Son so that you don't have to pay for your sin." You can have that love. Or, if you remain as you are, you'll have all my holy fury. Which will it be? Which will it be? When I say it's your choice, even there you need God's help to choose. And even there God says, I will send my Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who hates and detests sin and sinners says, I'll come and help you, sinner. I will help you to turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus. Because I love you. 
Incredible that this holy God would do such for us. We need to see the holiness of God. And if you're not yet trusting in Christ, would you cry out to him, Oh God, please do this for me. Move me out of under your just judgment and move me into the warmth of your forgiveness and your love. Lord Jesus, will you take my punishment so that I can be forgiven, so that I can know this love? We need to see God's holiness. We're going to live in this hostile world. And we need to bow in thankful reverence. Because, oh, we were, we, we, we were the people around us. To our eyes, we mightn't have been. We might we might have, have picked our way to rebel in different ways. Oh, but we rebelled nonetheless. And God looked at us with that same holy fury. But yet, David says, But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. There's people that God won't even let stand in his presence, but David's allowed to come in. Why? Is it because he is brilliant? He is some wonderful paragon of virtue who deserves Almighty God to let him come in? No. He says, by your great mercy. It could be translated, your abundant mercies or your abundant loving kindnesses or the multitude of your mercy or the lavishness of your love. That's the only reason David can go into God. It's the only reason you and I can go into God. It's the only reason we can pray. We have access. We read of it in Romans 5, that having been justified, we have peace with God and we have access into this grace in which we now stand. And it all came about because the God who hates sin died for the ungodly, the sinner. Oh, what love is this? And here's the the, 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 the certainty that David knows, I know you will hear me. Here's the certainty. Because here's David saying, I'm asking you to show mercy. And I know that you're a God who has many mercies. I'm asking you to show love. And I've already got proof of the abundance of your love. But he doesn't treat it lightly. He's in awe of it. He bows in, in reverent fear, he says. In reverence I will bow down. Because he's amazed. You might wonder, is it worth my while praying? David in verse 7 says, Oh yes it is. You are right in the very presence of God. A God who delights to hear your prayers and to show love and mercy. Pray yourself into God's presence. I don't mean that to, to say in any way that we work ourselves, earn our way into God's presence. We, we come by prayer into the presence of God. Before we go out, we need to go in. And secondly, pray yourself out into the world. Pray yourself out into the world. Before we go out, we need to go in. And once we're in, we need to ask God to help us go out. 
There's three things here. Ask God to show you how to live. Verse 8. Verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Lead me in your righteousness. Guide me. Make your way straight before me. He says, because of my enemies. And then he says, again, verse 9 is omitting that little word, just a little Hebrew word that means for. For. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. What a grotesque image. An open grave. You know, I used to work in a bacon factory. And the worst job was to empty the bins out into the skip. Not because the bins were full of bits of the carcass, but because the skip was outside and it was a summer job and the skip was huge the outside temperature was hot and warm and it was stinking. It, was, it just made you wretch and you were tipping this stuff in there and there were flies buzzing and oh, the smell of rotting carcasses. David says, the people that I go out and they're talking and it, it, the very stench of what's being said pollutes my mind. It pollutes my heart. It pollutes me. Lord, I don't want to be influenced by that. Will you help me to walk straight? And we know that, don't we? It's not simply the words that people say to us. It's the very world that we live in where the things that people talk about are vulgar. The language they use is perverse. The things that they say are filled with lies at times. Boasting, vulgarity, selfishness, vanity. Not every word is like that, but often so much is. And we become acclimatized to it. And David says, Lord, before I step outside the door, will you help me walk in righteousness? Help me walk the line. Because words entrap us, and they don't have to be words that are spoken. They can be words written down in Snapchat or WhatsApp. They can be uh, forums. They can be all sorts of things that are said to us. And it can be picture words. The values that people have as they, they live and they post stuff on Instagram or whatever it might be. Lord, help me. Help me. Keep me in your righteousness as you go out into the mart. As you go out into your office, as you go into your workplace, as you're out amongst friends, as you're out uh, in a world that's hostile to Christianity, as you cope with disappointments and frustrations, ask God to show you how to live. It seems really obvious. But how many times do we try and do it in our own strength? Ask God, secondly, to deal with the world. Ask God to deal with the world. We look at the news, despair. What on earth's going on? We look at the, the push for abortion here in Ireland and George Soros, an American billionaire, putting money into the campaign because so, he wants it to succeed. Uh, and you think, well, how do you stand against this? I, sometimes as a parent I say, it's not your job my children it's not your job it's not their job to fix some particular thing 
That's my job as a parent. Is it my job to fix the world? Well, it's not my world. It's not your world. It's God's world. And in verse 10, David says, Lord, you deal with it. You declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. And this is, this is the first time we meet something like this in the book of Psalms. It's what's technically called an imprecation. It's a calling down of judgment. Now, it's not that David is, is saying, Lord, see that person over there, number 63? They're really annoying me. Would you nuke them? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, God, because he says, this isn't personal. He says at the end of verse 10, for they have rebelled against you. This isn't like the Muslim jihadi who says, death to the infidels, and then wants to go out and kill them. Because somehow he has to do Allah's job. Well, that's because Allah is impotent. He's not the true God. The believer, the God of the Bible, says, Lord, you do it. I'm standing back. It's in your hands. You deal with them. You judge them. He's calling on God to deal with wickedness. Calling on God to do what God said that he would do. We sang from Psalm 83 where David, uh, or one of the psalmists says, Lord, would you cause them shame so that they will turn to you? That Psalm 5 isn't all of the Bible's teaching on how we live in a hostile world. It's part of it. And somewhere like Psalm 83 gives us another part. Where we're praying, Lord, will you convert them? But if you will not convert them, will you remove them? Will you let their, their plots backfire? Instead of your people being shot and injured or blown up. Lord, if you're not going to convert the suicide bomber, will you destroy them before they get to your people? Lord, you deal with it. I'm not going to go out on jihad and take a machine gun and try and shoot down suicide bombers in Syria or wherever. I'm going to ask God to deal with it. Lord, will you hinder the wicked? And every time we come to one of these types of passages, always remember that before this God came or comes to judge, he came to be judged. He came to suffer his own fury at sin so that men and women could be forgiven. And if men and women reject him, they leave themselves only one option. But we say to God, God, you deal with it. We don't get worked up. We don't get angst-ridden. We don't panic. We leave it with God. We say, Lord, you take care of it, please. And then thirdly, not only do we ask God to deal with the wicked and ask God to show how we live, we ask God, uh, I've left a word out of the notes, ask for God to fill you with joy at his protection. Ask God to fill you with joy at his protection. Look at the closing section. David is getting ready to go out into the world now. And he says, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. This is kind of the opposite of, well, let them just get through the day and make it through and just cope with all the pressures. No, David says, I want them to have such confidence that they are filled with joy as they go out 
into the world. Isn't that wonderful? That David prays that God's people will have joy as they live in a world that's hostile to them. And why will they have joy? Look at verse 11 and then verse 12. Spread your protection over them. Why? Not just so they'll be safe, but so they may rejoice. You can live in a hostile world with joy because your father is the king of the universe who controls everything and will one day make everything perfect. That fills us with joy. Verse 12, For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. Here's the certainty. This isn't the final story. This isn't the final story. Surely, certainly, God will pour out His favor on His people. That is the final score. So we can have confidence. And I love what David says next. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Psalm 18, we looked at it last Sabbath evening, talks about God being a shield. A shield is a fairly sterile implement of war. And you need a shield whenever the arrows are raining down on you. But David here twists the imagery a little bit. And I've been trying to come up with something that captures it. Imagine somebody said to you, look, there, there's, there's, there's a meteor shower that's going to come in full of tiny little pinpricks of, of, of space dust that, are, that could puncture your skin and you, you need a shield. But actually we find that the shield that will best protect you is that you, you burrow yourself into a, a huge gigantic tub of chocolate spread and the outside of it is covered three feet deep with ice cream. That's just not a shield. That, 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 if that were to protect you, that would be a shield of abundant favor, wouldn't it? It just wouldn't be something, oh, hide behind this nine-inch thick steel plate and you'll be okay. And you're there and you hear the rattle of all the stuff coming. It says, surround them with your favor, your blessing as a shield. It's not just that God protects his people by saying, there it is, those things won't ultimately harm you. He says, no, 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 no. It's It's not the headmaster coming out into the playground and saying, stop bullying that child, that's a shield. This is a father coming out into the playground and putting his arm around his son and saying, come on over here. And he has set out for him a feast. And he says, come son, sit down at the feast. Could you live with a, in a hostile world if you had a father who spread a table before you in the presence of your enemies? Isn't that what we've got? And David wants God's people to see that. And he prays that they'll see it. And so as you prepare to go out into a world that has all sorts of different hostilities, not all the time, but some of the time and at different times we experience it, come in, pray yourself into your Father's presence. Come into the throne room in prayer. See the Holy King who has already done so much for you and who loves you so much. Ask Him 
to deal with the wicked. Ask him to lead you and guide you. Ask him to protect you and to fill you with confident joy as you live for him in this world that's broken and damaged and awaiting the return of the King. Let's stand as we come to God in prayer. O Lord God, we see in this psalm those two aspects of your character. Your delight-filled, glorious love that you would allow those who are enemies to become people that can come into your presence and enjoy your favor and blessing. And that's what we were. We were enemies. And while we were still enemies, the Lord Jesus Christ had already gone to the cross. And we thank you for that. And yet, O Lord, we see the other side of your character. That for those who reject your plan of salvation and forgiveness and cleansing, that the wrath that God the Son himself bore on the cross, if he does not take it for them, then they will have to take it for themselves. O Lord God, let that fill us with compassion as we live in a world and meet people and hear of people who are hostile to you. Let us be filled with compassion. Thank you that we can leave things in your hands. And Father, we pray that you would help us to walk in righteousness, that you would help us to cry out to you for guidance and help, that you would fill us with joy as we live in a world knowing that our King is our Father and our protector and shield. Father, help us as we seek to live in this world in a way that says that there's another world that will be far better than anything this world has to offer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.